Welcome back to What on Earth, uh, a podcast for you, the busy professional who wants to know what on earth is going on in the ever-changing transitioning industries of minerals, energy and supply chains. Each episode, we address what's happening under the earth, above the earth, in Australia and around the world. My name is James Scotland. I'm the General Manager of Minerals, Energy and Supply Chain for the Australian Industry Group. And each episode, I'm joined by my co-host, Tenet Reid, the Head of Policy, a Senior Policy Advisor for the Australian Industry Group on such matters. How are you, Tenet? I'm doing okay. Uh, we're a couple of days out of uh, lockdown here in Melbourne, and I have not yet done one single thing that I couldn't have done during the previous two weeks. <laughs> I'm a troglodyte at this point, just comfortably staying in my cave. It's one of those things, isn't it? I can frolic if I want to. I just why would I want to? to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've all become a little bit hermit-like. Um, and of course, with us is my great coffee drinking buddy, Paul Hodson, a business and industry commentator who has a, a deep interest in uh, innovation and business improvement. How are you, Paul? Very well, thanks, James. Uh, sky's blue, the sun's shining. I'm here in Brisbane. It's, um, yeah, uh, a beautiful day. You would be able to frolic, although I recall last episode you told us that we have, uh, that you have a new role. And how's that going? You're in the the battery and power storage business, which is important in uh, what we're going to talk about. Uh, it's going really well. Never a dull moment in the energy sector, that's for sure. Let's talk about today, let's talk about electric vehicles. I've been fascinated reading about them recently. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, last week Germany announced um, it had exceeded 1 million electric vehicles uh, being on the road and it's all on the way to getting 10 million electric vehicles in record time, 10 million. One in four Britons say they are planning to buy an electric vehicle next time. China has mandated that 40% of all electric vehicle sales must, or all, all vehicle sales must be electric vehicles by 2030. And in Thailand, they've got over 100,000 EVs and the government says it's not happy with that, it's behind target. 1 million in Germany, 100,000 in Thailand, and yet here in Australia, we've only registered 20,000 in total compared to the 20.1 million cars in Australia. So I thought, guys, we might be able to talk about why that is. Why is it such a low take-up in Australia? Is it going to come? Is the take-up going to happen? And what are the business and manufacturing opportunities for us? Probably the starting point of that conversation, though, is what's the deal with electric vehicles? Is this a critical part of decarbonisation? Is electric vehicles the way it's going to happen? Um, maybe, Tenant, you might like to comment on that because you, you spend your time on, um, you know, what's happening in the future. Yeah, sure. So EVs have come to the fore in this discussion, I would say, for basically for two big reasons. One is that net zero emissions is a much more demanding goal than like 5% improvement, 20% improvement. There's all these incremental or partial solutions that may have important roles uh, that just aren't enough for a net zero world. So more efficient internal combustion engine vehicles, like they're great, you could get fuel savings. You can't get to zero emissions with incremental efficiency. Hybrids um, can can save a lot of fuel, 
uh, and you know they're they're quite important out in the market at the moment uh, globally. But again, those don't get you to zero. Public transport is wonderful. People are not going to ride buses or trains or trams to for all of their trips. Video conferencing we've been making a lot of use of. Um, and that can substitute for quite a bit too, but not everything. So you need some zero emission solutions. Now, EVs are not the only option there, but uh, the others are fuel cell electric vehicles that use hydrogen. They're still, uh, they, they, they haven't progressed uh, very far in terms of market share, uh, cost reductions. They, they haven't acquired that uh, combination of cost coming down, scale coming up, reinforcing cycle that is happening with EVs. Similarly, uh, internal combustion engine hydrogen is yeah, is embryonic at this point, less than embryonic, a glint in uh, a few companies' eye. Uh, and synthetic fossil fuels, you could you could in theory you could like make uh, non-fossil hydrocarbon fuels with captured carbon and with uh, electrolytic hydrogen and make a, a, a fuel that is, in theory, zero net emissions. Um, we are, I think, decades away from uh, potential relevant scale for that kind of thing. So like, EVs are, are, are where it's at at the moment for zero emissions uh, in transport. That said... Uh, we may see some surprises, uh, and, and certainly in the heavier vehicle, longer distance vehicle space, uh, it's anybody's game for what are going to be the, the most competitive solutions there. Light vehicles at this point, yeah, even where policies are uh, framed in a more neutral way, so uh, Europe uh, proposed a couple of weeks ago a uh, 2035 date at which... Um, uh, vehicles sold in the EU have got to be zero emissions. Uh, so in theory, you know, hydrogen fuel cell could could meet that. Um, in theory, um, synthetic fossil fuel uh, vehicles could meet that. In practice, that's probably a battery electric vehicle standard. Hey, Paul, um, years ago, my dad bought a VHS video recorder and one of his mates down the road bought a beta one. Um, and so whenever his son and I went to the video store, we had to go to different parts of the video store, kind of long time ago now. Video store, what the hell's that? Uh, uh, but should I buy an electric vehicle or a hydrogen vehicle? Look, I think um, a lot of this is going to be about the availability. And, you know, given that Australia doesn't have a car manufacturing industry, um, we really are reliant on other parts of the world uh, to supply and um, some of the, uh, uh, some of the, uh, I guess, uh, incentives and some of the uh, uh, fuel emission standards and others are potentially driving uh, uptake in other countries a lot quicker than us. Uh, whether it'll be electric vehicle or hydrogen, it'll, a lot of it will come down to economics. Um, and what we're seeing at the moment with the falling price, I, I suspect, of batteries, particularly lithium-ion batteries, is the battery electric vehicles are likely to pick up the, the, the large part of the passenger market. But as you get to much heavier loads and longer distances, um, then hydrogen is certainly um, uh, being seen as perhaps the preferred path at this point. Um, but I wouldn't rule out um, you know, further reductions in batteries. And when we talk batteries as well, we talk lithium-ion, um, but there's sodium-ion, 
there's aluminium iron, um, there's a, sodium, a, a lithium iron phosphate. Um, there are a whole range of different battery technologies that are being uh, worked on, which may deliver advantages in some of those, um, those sort of higher, higher load, uh, longer distance uh, travels where the current weight of batteries is, is a real limiting factor. So no, the answer is really yes or there's not really a yes or no. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but that's what we're talking about, isn't it? I read a little while ago that uh, Tesla is looking at a sodium iron battery uh, because it looks like it's going to be cheaper and lighter, which is, you know, I guess they're always going to be game changers. And it's hard to predict. Maybe I should have asked the question, what do we mean by electric vehicles? I've heard people say it's going to look like a... a um, a smartphone on wheels uh, is going to be a similar to the, the future vehicle is going to be the similar to an old style internal combustion engine as the rotary phone in your home is to a smartphone. There's no relationship at all. It's just completely different vehicle. So what do we, what do we think a vehicle is going to be like in the future? I'll add before I throw over to you, I'll add that Lamborghini is talking about an electric vehicle's Porsche is talking about electric vehicles. Even Rolls-Royce have announced that they're going to make an electric vehicle. So are these just internal combustion engines with a new new drive um, process or are they completely different? Maybe start with Tenant. Yeah, so there's no doubt that the, the way that uh, cars are currently um, used, uh, the way they're designed... Like it's it's very particular. It's a bit weird in some ways, and we've we've all got, or most of us have got these, you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars uh, expense assets, sort of sitting around doing nothing most of the time. They're very underutilized. They're very expensive for what they deliver. Um, so, from a like a pointy-headed economist point of view, uh, it would seem quite rational to come up with different ways structure the vehicles differently make them uh, very uh, light share them or make them autonomous uh, so that you know just do something very very different against that i would say look we've had this weird relationship with our cars for a hundred years or more um, there's a lot of people who quite like the way that uh, they're currently able to have a, a four-wheeled box of their own to stick somewhere until they need it. Um, and while we may see uh, fragmentation of the transport market and, and like more people doing different stuff at the margins, maybe more people not having cars and relying on uh, car share services or, um, or autonomous vehicles or, or something uh, else, we're probably still going to have quite a lot of people who are buying basically uh, the same um, concept uh, with a different technology behind it uh, as they're, that they're doing today or their parents did. Um, I think I think there's there's still going to be like a lot of dealers and servos and um, uh, people doing recognizably car-like things, uh, even while they're creating a lot less emissions or, or no emissions in the process. But um, I don't know. What do you reckon, Paul? Are, are we headed for a Jetsons future or a, <laughs> uh, something even harder to imagine than that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Someone had to mention the Jetsons, didn't they? <laughs> That's right. Um, it's getting fact, to be a very dated version of the future. Uh, no, we need, we need a new, we need a new model, don't we? Yeah. Um, well, look, I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, because the there's you've you always got to think about the uh, the behavioural factors and the cultural factors of some of these things. Um, and yes, a lot of the electric vehicles initially now look like every other car. And look, um, I'm going, probably going to offend some car designers, but cars pretty much look very similar. You know, um, you know, they've got a windscreen, they've got a back, you know, uh, you know, they've got a number of, they've got four wheels generally, um, they've got side mirrors, they've got all these types of things. Um, and a lot of it's been built on what you need to put in it and what you actually need to do with it. Um, now, with an electric vehicle, you've got a lot less moving parts. That also that fundamentally changes a number of things. One, the whole mechanical and servicing sector, and I think we can't underestimate the size of that sector in Australia. Um, and then all the parts that people are making. Um, uh, it's not just an internal combustion engine, it's exhaust pipes, and it's a whole range of things that don't actually need to exist in an electric vehicle. And then I think, as as Tennant's saying there, there's the model as well. So do you need to own one? Uh, I mean, one of the things that Uber did, obviously, was looked at the utilisation of the private car market and, impro and improve that. Um, and maybe with electric vehicles, and maybe this will change the pricing as well for make it more affordable for people, is that they will actually buy them in groups or they'll buy them in a membership-based. Um, uh, I don't know what it's like in Melbourne, but here we're now seeing... Um, electric bikes that you just pick up off the side of the street um, as a membership base. We've had scooters, now we're having bikes. Um, well, we have cars. Um, I know a number of people have had car share models in the past, but maybe electric vehicles will make sense for that, particularly with the ability to charge in a lot more places than you can currently with fueling a car, um, which you really can't do at your house. Um, or, or a shopping centre or something, you're, you're generally going to do at a fuel station. And then I think the business model then extends into, well, what does self-driving and autonomous vehicles mean as well? And that's where I think once people get culturally and behaviourally, they'll feel safe inside uh, a, a self-driving car, um, people will start playing with the look of the car and the feel of the car. I mean, you know, if you're quite happy to be heading down the highway in a car, maybe it's a car share with three other people. Um, could it be just like you're on the bus or in the train? You're reading a book, you're listening to a podcast, you're lounging, you know, lounging in the car. You're not even looking outside. Um, but I think there's a, I, I think that's when designers might start playing with it. So in 10, 15, 20 years, a car might look very different. Um, but I think there will be uh, an eye to what people, how comfortable they feel in this sort of car um, and what people may want to do. It'll open up new ideas. Um, and I think that'll be really, that'll be really fun, actually. It might look like a small lounge room. Um, you know, uh, it might have a big screen that you're watching something or you're, uh, you know, may have Wi-Fi and, and it may have much more features of kind of sitting and, and relaxing rather than sort of, you know, gripping a steering wheel and, and, and heading down a highway. One of the problems of vehicles has been that they have been status symbols and they have been an extension of ourselves. And at the same time, they have been insanely unsafe. Uh, you know, every year we hear about how, how dangerous vehicles are, but we concentrate more on comfort and status. I wonder... Just just going off on the side a little bit, what does that mean for business owners? How are we going to get our goods delivered? Are we going to 
own our delivery vehicles? Are we just going to just how are we going to get our supplies? How will our sales team move about? Will they move about? Will they do that online rather than going and seeing people? What do you think it means for business when we're trying to get to net zero um, for all of our well, operations? So, so uh, transport and logistics businesses that uh, that I speak to are, are looking at this very intently uh, at the moment because. Uh, they they see the transformation that is happening in the light vehicle space, but they are much more tentative about the um, the availability and uh, competitiveness of low or zero emissions options for a lot of their logistics needs for the the heavier stuff, the longer distance stuff. What, what do you mean? Uh, so uh, it's it is quite easy at this point to um, to transform uh, the delivery of uh, small quantities of light goods uh, over short urban distances mm-hmm. through battery electric vehicles. Like that's 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 fine. That's probably going to be the way things pan out. Uh, but if you've got you know, a, a, a hundred tons of steel to get from point A to point B. If you've got um, a container load of tin tomatoes to get from the port of Melbourne to uh, to Geelong or sure. you know wherever you need to go, uh, then what's your option there? Uh, now maybe it's going to be hydrogen fuel cell. Uh, maybe it's going to be. Uh, battery electric, uh, but the the range of models available is like almost nothing. Um, the cost competitiveness with um, current fleet is is not good, and the savings with uh, battery electric over internal combustion engine uh, come from operating cost. Uh, the longer you own the vehicle, uh, the, the more time that operating cost difference has to pay back the higher sticker price. Um, but a lot of these logistics businesses, uh, certainly some of the um, biggest, most prominent, their model is based on owning the vehicles probably for only uh, five years or so before they uh, pass them on to other parts of the ecosystem. So we're not yet at a point where um, these cleaner options are an obvious uh, economic choice for logistics businesses in the absence of some kind of signal from policymakers or from customers that uh, they're going to make out okay with the the costs involved. In my days as as a a manager in the logistics business, we used to change the manager's car over at 40,000 Ks, get a new vehicle. Uh, and the one-ton vans would get changed over at around 500,000, having had three probable engine changes and about two gearbox change or a diff. Uh, Huge distances. The the logistics issue that comes to mind, I'm sure that business people who are listening to this will say it's all good and well to to take a, a load of tomatoes from the Port of Melbourne to Geelong and deliver it, but then if I have to spend three hours recharging the battery, it's... Ridiculous. So we need fast charging, some way to keep vehicles constantly on the road. If the wheels aren't moving, I'm not making money. It's inefficient. So how do you get around that, Paul? Is that does that bring us back to hydrogen, or is that do you swap out batteries? How does it work? Well, I think a lot of it comes back to what you'd call non R and D innovation. So we've got a a suite of tools, technical tools, you know, innovations and technologies at our disposal. 
Um, but some of the winners will be people that work out how to do this um, from a customer-centric perspective and really deliver a winner. And that may be, uh, you know, the original equipment manufacturers um, that are supplying these transport logistics companies. Um, but there may be some really interesting companies that come in. I've, I've heard of people um, looking at cartridge batteries into, into trucks, for example, that may be able to be replaced in two to three minutes. So rather than trying to refuel, you actually uh, can just slip these things in and out um, at particular spots along a, a truck route, for example. And they're charged there with a big battery connected to the grid, maybe with a solar array, all those types of things. So, there's, so I think there's some interesting models that will come in um, as well. So it's not yet certain what that will look like. Um, and Tennant talked about you know, customers and, uh, and uh, I guess, the, the suppliers uh, of, of that. You know, lots of people are working on different models at the moment. And, um, you know, for a, it, that, that's very difficult for a business owner at the moment if you're looking at making large, uh, large decisions maybe over the longer term. And that may in itself lend itself to much more of a leasing uh, sort of uh, pay-by-the-month kind of model, which allows you to be a little bit more, uh, flexible, a little bit more agile, perhaps with uh, with the changing technology, it becomes then the supplier that's actually looking looking after that, and actually will come to you and say, actually, we're now changing over to X technology because it's uh, you know it's come along in leaps and bounds and actually delivers a better return now. Um, so, so I think that's the the thing as well is about some of those decisions that get made and actually made that because of the uncertainty that may influence uh, the length of time that people go into contracts on. There's a lot of, um, it's, what's really important in this area is the interaction of timing and momentum and uh, the, the relative progress of different um, technologies that can come together to make a new business model or a, a, a changeover in a, in a fundamental asset viable. Ten years ago, there was a company you might remember called Better Place, whose uh, big idea was that battery swapping was going to be the key thing to enable electric vehicles, and they had these big plans for, for batteries to be... Uh, made available uh, sort of like a mobile phone subscription uh, model and uh, it didn't work out well because the, the timing wasn't right. Uh, the uh, battery costs were still very high. The, the difficulty of getting collaboration between uh, many different suppliers to enable like seamless swapping was very high. It just didn't work at that time. It wasn't a bad idea. Uh, and there are uh, there are companies trying the same thing today uh, in uh, China and uh, some other markets with improved technology, cheaper batteries, uh, greater standardisation. Maybe this time it will catch fire. Maybe, well, that's that's an unfortunate phrase when it comes to lithium-ion <laughs> batteries. Maybe it will be a big deal this time. <laughs> We're really talking about as business owners how we get to net zero, how we get how we manage our carbon footprint and moving away from internal combustion uh, because that's a heavy carbon footprint to whatever the alternative is. What are the things that we need to think about as business people? How do we do that? How do we make decisions? Should we worry about that? 
I framed that with one of my one of my friends said to me, "What's the point of buying an electric vehicle when uh, the electricity comes from carbon fired from coal fired uh, power stations?" So it's just a false false option. What do we as business people need to be thinking about? Well, so I'll, I'll have a first go there. Um, it's absolutely true that an electric vehicle is only as clean as the electricity that it's charging with. Uh, but the electricity system is not fixed in time. Like when you buy an um, internal combustion engine vehicle, the emissions intensity of that vehicle the day you buy it is going to be more or less the same as its emissions intensity on the day you sell it. Uh, but with a battery electric vehicle, uh, it will keep getting cleaner over its lifetime mm -hmm. as uh, in the electricity system it's depending on, um, older, higher emitting uh, power stations retire and cleaner generation, largely renewables, takes its place. Um, so over its lifetime, that, that vehicle will keep getting cleaner. Even today, because uh, battery electric vehicles tend to be um, much more efficient in their use of energy uh, than internal combustion engine, they actually still, even in a coal-intensive grid like much of Australia, um, are uh, cleaner in the moment, but they, they are going to have to get a lot cleaner. For businesses, I think uh, they need to consider uh, what are their electricity contracting arrangements. Um, do they have... Um, uh, a, an idea of the emissions intensity of their power source um, and are they taking that into account when they're telling their customers or their investors or, um, or, or governments uh, what they're achieving in terms of emissions reduction uh, so mm. that they, they're making sure they're making an accurate statement of where they are but also where they're going to be in five and ten years' time. It's a good point. It's all going to be based around electricity. What did you think, Paul? What, as a business owner, what would you be thinking about now in terms of heading towards uh, a net zero in the future? Well, I think, I mean, if we look at the, the generation of distributed energy resources, so in the electricity sector, it's some of the cheapest energy you can produce now. And while residential rooftop solar has, you know, I think it's one in four in Australia, we have got uh, rooftop systems in residential uh, uh of customers, um, the commercial industrial scale uh, is a real opportunity. And so for a, if I'm a business owner, I'm thinking about uh, how can I potentially generate, store um, energy? How can I actually become a little bit self-sufficient in that? But actually then how does that change my decisions around things like electric vehicles as well? And also looking at the full life cost as well. So uh, for a, a business, a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of cost in maintenance and operations, uh, potentially diesel usage as well, potentially even I've got maybe storage if I'm a large industrial user on site, et cetera, et cetera. And starting to really look and talk to some of the people who may be able to provide those, talk to your existing suppliers um, as well and, and really understand what, what's there. But I think there's an, an opportunity to really um, early deploy or to look at existing things that are already happening and just starting to engage with them. Um, but, you know, I think long gone are the days where you have to kind of sit there and, and, and just hope that someone that's providing you is doing you a good deal. You can actually really, um, 
you know, you can generate your own energy now. You can store your own energy. Um, you could potentially then be using that to refuel your 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 fleet. Um, and you could be doing it with a lot less service costs, perhaps, uh, that you might have. So it's really, it's really, I think, sort of sitting down and really working through all that um, and actually just and starting to then have a chat around and have a look at it. And there are some incentives around as well. Um, for putting in some of these, uh, this new infrastructure or some of these purchases, you know, it's obviously different in different states and territories. Um, but, you know, talking to people like Mesca and AI Group and, and others to sort of say, well, um, you know, what, what options are there for me? I was really encouraged. I spent the last four days out in central Queensland in a, uh, a open cut underground mining and agricultural part of the state and the businesses in agriculture and in mining are already talking about how we start changing our transport needs, how we start changing our internal operations, because if we want to sell our product overseas, we need to start thinking about what our, our carbon footprint is. So this is in a very conservative area of the country, conservative politically uh, of the country, but they know that they have to change their operations. One last thing before we go, uh, there's a company in Brisbane that was building car battery charges for uh, recharging stations for along the autobahn where you could plug it in. That is sort of unique model where on your dashboard would come up, you have got one hour left of electric charge. The nearest charging station is 40 minutes away. Book that station now by pressing this button or whatever on your app. Um, it'll be charged to your, your card automatically. And by the way, if you want a coffee, you can order a coffee now online. And it's this whole sort of on online sort of operation that we're used to in other parts of the area, but your car charging would be the same. It says to me there's lots of opportunities in this electric vehicle market for smart business people, not just in building cars, but in all sorts of stuff. And of course, we've got critical minerals. Just within a couple of minutes, what are you guys thinking? Is this a big future for us in Australia? We're a smart advanced manufacturing country. Can we get involved in this? Well, there's lots of services and uh, and, and equipment that uh, Australians provide for for transport and and auto today, both the, the the servicing and support for existing vehicles within Australia and parts and equipment and services uh, for for export and incorporation into uh, vehicles overseas. So. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's definitely going to be opportunity in uh, the uh, meeting the needs of new cleaner vehicles. There's also going to be some disruption and change. I saw some um, some uh, work in a, in a submission from another organisation uh, recently, which uh, was pointing to thousands of potential job losses in uh, Victoria among uh, mechanics and service stations and auto dealers from um, even a small take-up of EVs. Now, I think that was a bit over-egged, but the basis for those, um, those fears was that uh, current vehicles break down a lot and repairing those breakdowns is a big part of the business model for uh, quite a few existing businesses in the space, including dealers who may make more on service uh, than they do on the original sale. You mean uh, we're going to become more efficient? Goodness me, no. Well, exactly. So when you when you uh, describe it all in a different way, which is EVs are going to be simpler and more reliable and cheaper to operate for customers. 
well, that sounds great. Uh, and, you know, the sympathy for the candle maker shouldn't make us uh, hold back the, the light bulb. But <laughs> the, the transition uh, will, you know, have some risks for some businesses and they need to think about how they're positioning themselves for that, including uh, do they have the uh, up-to-date at skills and, and awareness and knowledge to translate what they're doing from internal combustion engine vehicles to battery electric or fuel cell electric vehicles. Are they are they going to be able to make that transition, or are they going to be you know stuck in a, a shrinking market uh, over time? Uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, look at your well transport ahead of that. Yeah, look at the transport. Look at the whole board, not just you know your your petrol car needs, look at the whole economy. Paul, that's a great line, by the way, that candle maker thing. It was good. Paul, you got a comment? Uh, Yeah, probably just two comments, I guess, to finish with. One, I think, is that we often hear about fuel security in Australia, and I think it's really important to understand that the electrification and potentially the hydrogen fuel selling, uh, uh, fuel charging of our fleet uh, will actually mean that we can be self-sufficient in mobile fuels. uh, whether it be battery electric vehicles or, or hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles. Um, so I think that's a really important thing to look at. Um, and I think it's a really important thing to, for policymakers to look at about how we can actually look at replacing diesel and the, and the subsidies and everything we provide to, uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, users um, with potentially some incentive programs, um, infrastructure programs and investment programs around um, uh, changing that fleet over. I think that helps. And the other one, in terms of, you know, uh, the jobs and the manufacturing, I mean, look, the amount of critical minerals, the critical minerals value chain right through batteries into electric vehicles, um, we're already exporting, you know, electric vehicle charging infrastructure out of Australia. And there's a whole range of services and advanced manufacturing uh, that we're well placed for um, as well. So whether we should or shouldn't will really depend on the economics, I suspect. Um, It may be much more in the components that we're doing rather than naturally in assembling electric vehicles ourselves. But again, uh, these things will be economic, but we've certainly got the capability in Australia to maximise a, a fantastic opportunity for us. It's a great point, isn't it? When people say we should bring car manufacturing back to Australia, we need to go and say, what do we mean by a car? And what do we mean by transport? What do we mean by the whole section of our economy and, and both of you have described that beautifully i don't think we can go without asking tenant to give us a quick policy comment on what paul was saying well you know the the, the policy piece is very important here we don't have a lot of evs uh being bought in australia at this point and and people point to all kinds of reasons why that might be or we drive long distances uh, we have got fuel uh, range anxiety. Um, these things are not that different to most other places. And like Australians don't, on average, drive that far, actually. There's a lot of diversity, but like 30 k's a day is the average drive of the average vehicle. The main reason why uh, we don't have a lot of EVs and some other countries do is we don't have a lot of policy that encourages it. Uh, and uh, the vehicles are getting cheaper. The um, the vehicle manufacturers are all moving at um, increasing speed towards uh, only offering EVs. 
so that the, the change is going to come, but uh, it would it would come a lot faster uh, if policy overall were more supportive. There's a bunch of different ways to do that, uh, and you know we we may have more arguments about uh, national standards for vehicle efficiency, and the, the the vehicle industry is quite supportive of a national approach rather than the fragmentation that we're really seeing with states going in different ways, different speeds, different rules. Um, but until we do, we probably are going to lag uh, a long way behind, and uh, we won't be at the epicentre of, uh, of, of any of this in terms of pursuing the industrial opportunities and the business opportunities if we're not uh, if we if we remain nowheresville in take up of EVs i think the point is to make sure that we understand what's happening around the world don't just look around our suburb because it's different overseas from here there are the uptake of EVs is very strong because they are pushing harder for decarb um, Paul Tennant, any, any final comment? I thought that was a great conversation, by the way, guys. Thanks. I uh, really enjoyed it. Paul? No, I think, you know, again, you know, I think it's it's really about engaging and understanding and looking at what you're doing and, and really empowering yourself to uh, to to get in to get involved in some of this as well, not not really being a spectator and not really fearing what's happening, but looking at opportunities. So we both talked about uh, whether it's uh, sort of technical and manufacturing type opportunities, but there's also new business models as well, um, and uh, it's really ripe for innovation at the moment. So uh, get out, get out there and, and and get amongst it. I think would probably be my my takeaway. Yeah, perfect. You go on. Sorry, Tim. Well, I, I would just say that um, EVs, like cars, are diverse. There's many different kinds of car for many different kinds of person. And EVs are, are the same. They have had a, an association with, uh, you know, um, uh, inner city uh, conscientious progressive types. Uh, but there's there's going to be an EV for for everyone um, in the community. And I think looking at the launch of the electric F one fifty truck in uh, the US is is a marker of where some of this is going. Uh, you know, that, that's a vehicle that uh, you can um, take to your construction site, you can run your power tools off it, you can go home and run your house off it if there's uh, an interruption of supply from the grid. Uh, and it's it's big and it's aggressive looking and uh, it's, it's not some kind of uh, tiny two-seater in a city runabout. Uh, and, you know, that, that flowering of, of variety... I think is going to help uh, to um, make irrelevant the, the the kind of political polarization that we saw in the 2019 election. You know, electric vehicles were coming to take your weekend away. Um, I think that fear can be safely buried. Sometime in the future, we might we will see the electric Lamborghini and Porsche. We will see the Silverado and the F-150, uh, the big uh, Yank tanks, as we call them here. Uh, but we also might see the Apple car or the Uber car or maybe the locally built kangaroo car. Who knows? Uh, it's going to be different. We've got to look at the whole picture. And I, uh, I thought we covered that nicely today. You guys have a good weekend. I might go wash my car. Yeah.